Good morning, y'all. Glad to get to uh, preach to you guys today. Bryce and his family are in Heber Springs, enjoying a long weekend and some family time and friend time, and uh, we are excited and happy for him. Love that. Um, we are almost done with First Peter, which is exciting. We've been in First Peter since, I don't know, a long time ago? Um, not as long as we were in Romans, but we were, we've been in it a while. Um, and so we were going to finish it up in the next two weeks, I think. Uh, and, uh, and then we're going to have our summer sermon series, our super summer sermon series. And uh, we're going to do uh, vintage values. So we're going to go through our core values as a church and have an eight-week uh, sermon series with two sermons on each of our core values. And we're going to have some guests come in. You're going to get to hear from me and Blake again. And uh, it's going to be a blessing. I'm excited about it. It's been a while since we've gone through those as a church. And so it's going to be great. And then in August, we're going to start into Second Peter. Surprise. And uh, we'll take Second Peter on out through Advent. So that's kind of where we're headed this year. And I think it's going to be good. It's been good so far. I've, it's been a blessing for me to, cons- I've read First Peter before, but it's been a blessing uh, to me to kind of consider it deeply and take it slowly and, and connect Peter's writing with the character, the person of Peter that we read about in the Gospels, because I think I forget about that a lot, that these people who wrote these letters were actual humans, who, were actually, who actually did great things for the Lord and made mistakes in the name of the Lord and went through all of these things. So it's been a blessing. So I'm looking forward to uh, continuing on through Second Peter. Let's pray before we jump in today. Lord, your word is powerful and and it, it does deeper and stronger work than we could possibly understand. So, Lord, may we approach it with reverence today, and may you use it in our hearts to shape us and form us the way that you mean for it to. Help us to be open and receptive to what your word has to say. And uh, we love you, Lord. Thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so, the Internet is a funny place. I don't know if any of you know this yet. Uh, the internet is a funny place, and people say so many things on the internet. Just so many things. Uh, things that 25 years ago would have stayed within your kind of internal dialogue. Well, people now say them out loud uh, and broadcast them all over the internet. Uh, so it's uh, amazing. Uh, for the past few months, I have been posting guitar teaching videos on TikTok. Um, every day, just as a way to kind of promote some online teaching that I'm doing, and it's been really fun, and there's a a big community of musicians on TikTok, and I've been able to connect with some people, and I I think be beneficial to people, Um, but like I said, (laughs) people say things on the internet, and so there are some of these yahoos that will, will sometimes comment on my videos, generally with a, well, actually, you know, like, uh, like, they'll start an argument with me. Like, a complete stranger on the internet, they'll start an argument about guitar. And I don't know everything about guitar. I'm not Eddie Van Halen. I didn't reinvent the instrument. But I have been teaching people how to play the guitar for 20 years now. So I know a few things, right? And, I'm, and like, y'all know me. I'm, I don't, like, jump out there and start confrontations. I'm not a big, super bold person. I'm not going to throw anything out there that's insane, right? Or that I'm, I'm not just going to make some big, bold claim. I'm saying pretty basic things. Uh, and so... These people with anonymous TikTok accounts will tell me I'm wrong, and I'll go and I'll look at their uh, account, and some, it's, it's like, you know, like 19-year-old boys who are like into anime and stuff, and I'm like, who do you think you are? Like, go back to the kids' table. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. I don't, 
I don't actually say that. I want to say that. All the things that I really want to say, I just tell Lexi just to kind of get it out of my system. Like, oh, I almost made this joke. This would have been a zinger. It would not have uplifted Christ, but it would have been a zinger. Um, and so it just, it, it blows my mind because I'm like, I don't know everything, but I know something. So, so like, listen to what I'm saying and like, don't assume that I'm an idiot, right? Except every now and then, one of these little trolls will comment, and they'll have a point, you know? Like, they'll kind of be right about something. And that's really hard for me to admit to myself that there are people who might give me valid critique, even though they do it the wrong way, even though they're, they're mean about it or whatever. Sometimes they'll have a point. And so believe it or not, like, my TikTok videos have improved, some of them, because of these little, like, jerky comments that I get. Uh, and that's tough. <laughs> so I've learned two things in this experience, and one of them is that you should defer to people who are further down the road than you, right? Uh, humble yourself for half a second and, and listen to people who have more experience than you. Um, there's, a, there's a reason that that's historically been the way society has been built. Um, and then the second thing that I've learned is that um, don't ever think that you're so far down the road that you have nothing to learn. Um, even from people who shouldn't have anything to teach you. Um, if parenting has taught me anything, it's, it's like when, I, when you learn something from your kids, it's like you don't want to admit that like, they have a point or that they're right. And, but sometimes they are. Don't let that go to your heads. Um, so yeah, but, so the, the theme of all of this is, is humility. Humility is one of the chief themes of the Christian way of life. Uh, if the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others, humility is the way we express that love the way we deliver that love to the world. And so that's what we're going to get into today. For the past couple of weeks, Bryce has shown us what faithful eldership looks like. Elders in the church are to be faithful shepherds, willingly and eagerly submitting to God as they humbly serve and shepherd the flock. They are to be examples to the church. And churches with this kind of leadership are ripe for flourishing. So this week we're going to continue on <clears throat> into verse 5 and see what Peter uh, says about the rest of the church. So we're in First Peter chapter 5. If you've got your Bible or your app or whatever you have, uh, read it along with me. And go back after I'm done and listen to it, read it, whatever you do, and double-check me because I'm not, like, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf. I've been put in a position of leadership to preach to you uh, as, as, as one of God's pastors. But don't think that I'm right all the time. Go back and check me. First uh, Peter chapter 5 verses 5 through 7. I say this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So he... Uh, we pick up kind of right in the middle of the point that Peter was making about the relationships between uh, the elders of the church and the congregation. And so he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And so the first point he gets right into it is humble yourself toward your elders. Likewise, this is pointing back to the point he just made about how elders should serve, how they should behave in the same way, likewise, in the same way that godly elders shepherd you willingly and eagerly, not for shameful gain, not domineering over their people, but in submission to God and in service to their church. In that same way, you younger people are to be subject to the elders. 
Elders are an authority over the church, but they are to lead humbly, esteeming others as more important than themselves. Think about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. He gave up none of his power and authority, but he led in service and in love. So likewise, in that same way that good elders humbly submit to God's authority and serve their people, you younger people submit to your elders. Why does he start with young people? Well, by nature, most young people don't have experience. And experience is one of the key components of wisdom. That's not the fault of young people. It's just a fact of life. The more life that you live, the more you understand, the more you get practical experience applying the things of God in dealing with the day-to-day circumstances of life. Uh, To their credit, young people are often the proponents of good change in the world precisely because they don't see problems through the long lens of experience. So that's a positive thing. But more often than not, a lack of experience left unchecked can lead to being naive or even foolish. So the way for younger believers to guard against this naive foolishness is to heed the advice and example of Christians who are further down the road. And in the case of church elders, it's heeding spiritual authority. Submission to authority is unpopular in our culture generally. I mean, the United States was founded uh, in one of the greatest acts of rebellion in history, so we, we come by it honestly. Um, but as, as far as submission to church authority, it's even more unpopular because of pastors and other church leaders who have used their positions for personal gain, for manipulation, and for abuse. The exact opposite of what verses 1 through 4 call elders to be. Uh, experiences with grifters like these and headlines about them have hardened people against church authority. But here's the thing. When scripture tells us to submit to elders, it's not a blind submission or, or submission born in a vacuum. There are relationships here. Look at the lives of your elders and examine the fruit. See what the Lord has done and is doing in their lives. Most of the time, in most churches that are Bible-believing churches following the Lord. Most of the time you're going to see that local church elders are good and that their leadership is honorable. So when we submit to elders, we aren't submitting to tyranny. We are, we are submitting in love and in trust to people who desire God's glory and are good. That's what biblical submission looks like. There's too much pastoral abuse in the world, but for every headline that you see, every leader who uses their power to harm others, there are countless unnamed faithful pastors and deacons and church leaders who are faithfully loving and serving and leading their congregations. And it's always been this way throughout church history. We know the gospel and believe the gospel because of an unbelievable number of Christians, both lay people and clergy, who no one ever knows the name of because they were faithful in preserving the truth of the gospel from generation to generation. And so that is, that is the legacy of the church, and that is what we lean in towards. And I can tell you that it's this way in our church. You might be like, of course you would tell us to submit to elders. You're an elder. I get that. That's a fair point. But I've also seen a couple of things. One, I've seen the fruit that your elders are producing. Bryce and Blake are imperfect men, but they are faithfully fulfilling their roles as elders in this church, and I pray to be just as faithful in my role. The second thing is this, and Bryce brought it up last week, nobody has kicked us out yet. Church discipline is for everyone, uh, including elders and deacons. We signed the church covenant just like you did. We are submitting to the same guidelines and rules that we all commit to as church partners, 
and you're still here, and we're still here. So, so far, so good. Um, so younger people, live in loving submission to the elders. Receive the wisdom, the warning, the love, the teaching, and the correction that they give with humility. Then Peter shifts his focus to everyone, the whole church. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that brings us to our second point, which is humble yourselves toward one another. Take a little sip of tea here. Last year at the age of 37, I bought my first suit. Uh, dad, I mean, <laughs> dad. Bryce was a good dad to me. And uh, my dad went with me. Uh, Bryce went with me and helped me pick out my suit. Um, I, I, liked look, I like looking good, but I also like to be comfortable. You can tell this by the way I dress. Um, mostly that I like to be comfortable. Uh, suits were always in the too stuffy department. Uh, and I was, proud that I, I was proud of the fact that I lived my life in such a way that suits were unnecessary for me. Um, but my 20th high school reunion was coming up, and Lexi and I thought it would be fun to dress up and make an evening of it. And so we went, and I bought the suit, and this funny thing happened when I put on the suit. I liked it, <laughs> right? You know, the, the, the commercial where he's like, you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. He was right. I liked the way that I looked. It changed the way that I saw myself. It changed the way that I carried myself. And, uh, and it, was, it was cool. I liked the way I looked. We, we went to the reunion, and we looked good together, and we had a good time. Uh, and so John Piper argues that this is a reason that Paul uses the phrase, clothe yourselves with humility. Our clothes are, are often what distinguish us. And his point is that Peter wanted humility to be the thing that distinguished people in the church. He wanted humility be, to be the thing that marked them, that governed how they spoke, how they carried themselves, and how they treated other people. Love shown through humility. The Greek word for clothe yourselves is similar to the word that is used in John 13 uh, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Uh, it says this in John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He clothed himself appropriately for the task that he was about to undertake. Humility is the proper attire for his children as we face the tasks that we are given also. This was an important moment in Peter's life. Remember, Peter was there for this. And uh, if you remember, Peter res resisted Jesus washing his feet. He was like, why are you washing my feet? You shouldn't be washing my feet. And Jesus said, you let me wash, my wash your feet or you don't have any share in me. And so Peter let him wash his feet. And Jesus said, you guys don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you're going to understand later. And so now... When Peter is writing this, Peter understands. Peter understands what Jesus means. So he's saying to all of us, dress yourselves like Christ dressed himself as a servant. Clothe yourselves in humility the same way Christ did. He was prepared to do the task that he was doing. And that's what he's telling us to do. Dress yourselves in that same way. Uh, I feel like I quote Philippians chapter 2 in every sermon that I preach. And Tony already read it one time today. But I feel like Philippians chapter 2 kind of applies to almost every area of the Christian life. That we're, we're, we're supposed to do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We're, in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. We're not looking out to our own interests, but the interests of others. Have this mind, this way of thinking among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? If we are in Christ, we can have this way of thinking. He can, he, this is a work of the Spirit. He transforms the way that we think. And we can have this same way of thinking that Jesus had. He was in the form of God, but he didn't hang on tightly to that. He humbled himself and took the form of a servant, being born in a, the God of the universe was born in a limited human body, right? He humbled himself to the point of a servant. And not just that, he came obedient he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of all of that, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That is the God that we serve, and he left us the footsteps to follow in his path in the same way. We are clothing ourselves in the same way. Even people, we're supposed to, to be humble toward others, uh, but even people that we don't like, people who annoy us. People who don't deserve it, and maybe especially people who don't deserve it. This kind of humility was one of Jesus' defining characteristics on earth. He was boldly humble. Not proudly humble, but boldly humble. It was a risk. He was humble at great cost to himself. It was his holiness displayed not through grand acts of terror, uh, like splitting the Red Sea or... Uh, the Passover or things like that, it's, it's humility expressed, it's holiness expressed, expressed through humility. This is to be a defining characteristic of his people also. When was the last time that humility was a risk for you or a discomfort? As a person who avoids risks and discomfort, that's a hard question for me to answer. When the world looks at the church, they're looking for flaws they're looking for those who have been hurt and those who are bitter toward God and bitter toward the church. They're looking for corrupt leaders who use their position selfishly. They're looking for hypocrites. They're looking for things to criticize, things to delegitimize what the church does. They're looking for proof to support a conclusion that they've already come to, that these people are my enemies and that God is my enemy. So with the world looking, let them see instead a diverse group of people whose distinguishing feature is humility toward one another. Selflessness. Let the world see us living out Philippians chapter 2 right in front of their eyes. This is what the early church did, and it was revolutionary. People had not seen this thing before. But how? That's kind of our, our sub-point under here. How do we do this? How do naturally proud people become humble people? Well, the main thing about this transformation is that it is a work of the Spirit. Christian humility is not something an unbeliever can just conjure up. Uh, it's not something we can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and make happen. But it is a practice that Christians can enter into. And that practice can lead to a more natural humility. I've seen this a lot with my music students over the years. I'll, I'll give them a, a, a song or an exercise to work on. And they play through it, and it's sloppy, and it's bad, and it's awkward, and there's no confidence in it because it's just really hard. And so I tell them, all right, what you need to do is you need to practice about three days a week for about 15 minutes each time you practice. If you do at least that much throughout the week, you're going to get better over time. Doesn't seem like it will, but you will. And so my students who go home and practice, what happens is that little by little, their playing uh, improves, and the way that they hold the guitar, it goes... You know, like, you ever seen a kid, like, wear their parents' shoes, and they're kind of clomping around, and their shoes are giant, and they, it, 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 it doesn't look like they fit. It's awkward. But the older that they get, 
Well, sometimes they get to be like their feet are the same size and they can wear your shoes and it doesn't look strange. And that's what happens with my students. Like the more that they practice, the more they settle into the tasks that they're doing. And then a year down the road, they're playing something way more complicated than that with no thought about how much trouble they had with that one little thing on the third string or whatever it was. And so uh, this is what it's like for us uh, as Christians. We practice humility in such a way that we eventually just don't think about it anymore. It's awkward at first when it's not a habit in our lives, but it becomes something that is more natural to us. C.S. Lewis said this about humility. He said it with a British accent, but I'm not going to do the British accent. Uh, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, that he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be some sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. When we are truly being humble, you're forgetting about yourself. You're not thinking of yourself. And that's the goal, right? To use the expression, that's the dream, Right? That's what we're shooting for. I think we've all met people like this who were so cheerfully humble that we just feel loved and seen. This is who we're meant to be. So here are a few ways to practice humility. This is not an exhaustive breakdown, but I think it's a good place to start. One, practice humbling yourself before God. Practice humbling yourself before God. This is jumping the gun to my third point a little bit, but here's what I mean. Commit to studying scripture and praying for 15 minutes every day. That's half the length of a normal sitcom episode. Uh, But over time, God's word will shape you in ways that you could never imagine. And when you are convicted by the word, repent and obey. Breathe in his word and breathe out obedience. Day by day, moment by moment, practice humbling yourself before God. Two, practice humbling yourself toward others. Commit to finding a way to serve one other person every day. Nothing crazy, nothing big, but commit to finding a way to serve. Just lift somebody up. This is actually one of the most sanctifying things about parenthood because if we don't put our kids' needs first, then they don't survive. So we're kind of forced into it. Another thing is this. When you find yourself at odds with someone, assume the best about them. Seek to understand their point of view, not just to criticize it. Check yourself and put others first. This might be the hardest one. But practice humbling yourself toward others. At first, it's going to be hard, especially when you're right. It's going to be really hard to be humble toward other people. And then three, practice forgetting. Practice humbling yourself before God. Practice humbling yourself toward others and practice forgetting. When you practice being humble, but it's not yet natural, you're going to be pretty proud of yourself for doing it. You're going to, or at the very least, you're going to close your Bible after reading it and be like, check that off the list for the day. That's natural. Don't beat yourself up for that. But don't dwell on it either. Don't tally up all the humble things that you're doing to prove to yourself that you're being humble. Just do them and then move on. And the next day, do them and then move on. And just keep doing it. That is practicing the act of forgetting yourself. As with anything, your progress isn't going to be linear. But we should still try, make the effort, and the Holy Spirit will shape us and form us along the way. 
It's a commitment to obey in faith, even if we aren't feeling it. And the Holy Spirit will honor that obedience and make it a desire of our hearts over time. So those are a few ways how we can practice humility, how we can uh, f- get into the habit of humbling ourselves toward God and toward others. But why? Why should we humble ourselves toward each other? That's the next part um, that Peter gets into. He says, after he commands us to clothe ourselves in humility, he gives us the reason. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This, this verse harkens back to Proverbs 3.34 that says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. God opposes the proud. If God opposes you, what hope do you have? Right? Uh, it's the same thing as saying God defeats you. God stops you. God wins. If Bryce opposes me, it's going to be a hard fight. It's going to be hard. He's strong. Almost as strong as Tony. <laughs> That's an ongoing thing. Uh, and I'm really bummed that he wasn't here for that. Uh, but if, so I might lose. If I fight Bryce, I might lose. I'm probably going to lose. But, I, but there's a chance, right? You're saying there's a chance. Uh, but if God opposes me, like game over. Before I even realize that God opposes me, the game is over. You can't, you can't oppose God. Like you can't, you can't fight back against that. If God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, it means that a lack of humility in a person's life is an indicator that he may not be a Christian. Proud people don't receive grace. They can't. They're incapable of admitting their need for grace. Admitting your need for the Savior is an act of humility. And so God opposes them. This resistance and this opposition is the sort of thing that happens in battle. And God doesn't war against his children. He corrects his children, but he doesn't oppose them. That's how serious this is. If, if we aren't pursuing a life of godly humility, we might not be one of his children. Humility is a fruit that is born by Christians. Pride is not. Pride is a fruit born of the flesh. That isn't to say that humility earns grace. Like if I'm humble enough, then God will give me grace. Because we all know that's not true. Uh, That's not what the rest of Scripture says about grace. But humility is an indicator that we've thrown ourselves upon God's mercy. John Piper said that humility is the soil of faith. If we're not open to receive, we, we, we are not open to receiving God's grace without it. So we are all to clothe ourselves in humility because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We humble ourselves toward one another. But verse 6 also tells us to humble ourselves toward God. That's our third point for today. Humble yourselves toward God. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Therefore means because of all this. So he's saying that because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's our only hope. We either humble ourselves toward God or he will humble us. One act receives grace, the other one receives judgment. When we humble ourselves before him, we are admitting a fact, we are agreeing with a truth that is true with, with or without our belief in it, that we are completely and absolutely dependent upon God. Every single human is dependent upon God for existence, for salvation. Colossians says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the creator and sustainer of all of life and all of reality, all of consciousness, 
all, anything you can imagine, it's, it's bound up in God's will for it to exist. We live in his world, whether we admit it or not. Like I said before, humans have always had a problem with authority. Some of that is understandable because of those who abuse their power. But for most of us, it's just self-centered pride. And this pride is poisonous to us spiritually. The key thing to remember is this. God does not abuse his power. If you had a rotten mother or a cruel father, God is not like that. If you are fearful of proud people in positions of power, God is not like that. God is good. He's holy. He's completely other. He is, he, we are made in his image, but he is not like us in our fallen state. He is trustworthy. He has not been corrupted by sin. He's actually legitimately worthy of his position. He's worthy of the praise he receives. He's worthy of our admiration and our imitation and our devotion and love and submission and worship. The Lord is the perfect original version of what all other authorities are just shadows of. Listen to what's happening around the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. Notice that they're elders and they're falling down before his throne. That's, that's proper eldership there. Falling down before the throne, who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Worthy are you. Most of us are not worthy for anything that we have. God is. He's not the pale imitation. He's the original. He's the true. He's rightfully worthy of worship. He's the perfect father, the perfect king. And so we need not fear submitting to God's authority. Instead, we should fear not submitting to him. If we humble ourselves before God, he will exalt us at the proper time. He will ultimately raise us up to be with him. Not because we've earned it, but because of the grace that the Lord gives to the humble. This exaltation will be greater than any sort of self-exaltation we might attempt on our own. And if we exalt ourselves, he will humble us once and for all. And that is what we should fear. And that is real. Eugene Peterson described the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. And I love that idea. I think it hits the nail on the head. Humbling yourself before God is a long-term practice. Sometimes in life, we'll have conviction about a sin, and we will repent hardcore and never have a desire for that sin again. And, And those are blessed moments, and those are big moments. And we all know people who've had moments like that. Maybe it's been us. But oftentimes... We hit our knees in faith, knowing that God is good, knowing that he is worthy, but still not so sure of letting go of our sin, letting go of ourselves in that moment. This is where the practice of showing up every day with an open Bible and an open heart matters. Because we're admitting the fact that this is who I am, but this is not who I should be. You are the one in charge, and I'm submitting to you. We wake up. 
We spend some time taking his word and we pray and then we spend the day submitting to him one moment to one moment to one moment, one at a time. We repent when we are convicted. We give praise when we notice praiseworthy things and the longer this goes on, the more often you're going to notice praiseworthy things. It shapes us over time and we become people who live humbly under the mighty hand of God. We become people who are marked by that. And it's obvious to other people. So since God is worthy and good and holy, we can trust him. And if we can trust him, then we can do what the next part of the sentence tells us to do. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God is both concerned with us, uh, what happens to us matters to him, and he cares for us. He loves us, he supports us, he nurtures us. And he is able to be trusted. So we should trust him with our anxieties and our worries and our concerns. I think a good example of this is a child and a parent. Uh, What should kids be concerned with? Playing, having fun, eating snacks, taking a nap, hopefully, right? That's, That's all kids should be concerned about. What should parents be concerned about? Well, providing for the kids, protecting the kids, loving and nurturing the kids. Children flourish under the wings of good parents because they can just play and be themselves and have fun and not be concerned with grown-up things. Imagine a child on his own, though, trying to provide for himself, trying to protect himself. Kids are physically weak and vulnerable. Anything could happen to them. They're emotionally immature. They're not ready to take on the weight of being an adult, to take on the cares of an adult life. And that's what they'd be forced to do on their own. And that's how it is with us and God. You and I are not built to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. Only the one who made the world can carry its weight. God does not intend for us to worry about whether or not he's going to do his job well. It changes nothing to worry in this way. It does us no good to fret over things that only God can control. Listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? And what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. He knows how to care for his children, and he does. When was the last time you sat down and you considered a lily or a bird or a tree? There's this massive oak tree next to our garage. It's actually two oak trees that, like, fuse together at some point. And it's massive. It towers over, like, most of our 
hill that we live on. And it's probably older than just about anybody in this room. It is massive, and it's majestic. And, like, I was standing out in the yard, and Lexi was doing something with the chickens the other day, and she was like, you okay? What are you doing? And I was like, just looking at that tree. (laughs) I was just looking at the tree because it's huge. And especially this time of year, it's all full now. It's all green, and uh, it's beautiful. And I think sometimes about all the storms that, like, could have destroyed that. Maybe should have destroyed it. There's a few trees, like, down further on the bottom of the hill that didn't survive. Uh, some of these thorns. But this tree has been standing there for decades. Just massive and beautiful. And if God cares about an oak tree that's just standing there, how much more does he care about me? You know, like God cares about us. He, he's concerned with what happens in our lives, and he loves us. He takes care of us. Like, it's not just, he's not just some bearded guy on a throne who kind of has an idea of what's going on on earth. Like, he's intimately involved in our lives, and he loves you. We only need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will take care of the rest. Peter was there for the Sermon on the Mount. So when he tells us to cast our anxieties on God because God cares for us, he's echoing what he heard Jesus teach. He's also connecting this thought to his point about humility. When we worry and fret, we're exalting ourselves. We're saying, in effect, that God is not trustworthy, and that in order for things to be taken care of, we have to do it ourselves, right? We have to micromanage God's taking care of us. Isn't that the most ridiculous thing you can imagine? It's sinful and it's not true. We can't carry our own burdens, so don't try. Humility acknowledges this and it rests in this. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to rest in him. He doesn't mean for us to carry his burdens, That yoke is not easy, nor is it light. I think a lot of times we have things backwards. We see the commands of Scripture as burdens. We've got to submit to our elders, and we've got to think about others as more important than ourselves, and we've got to humble ourselves before God. But that's not it. The commands of Scripture remind us how life works best. They show us the path of flourishing and rest. And it's a little weird maybe when we're living outside of that and we're trying to get ourselves into it. It's a little uncomfortable. Maybe we're more aware of it. But once we make it a practice and a habit in our lives, we find rest. It is the better path. We need to humble ourselves before God, casting our anxieties upon him, and take the yoke that he meant for us to carry. Let our father deal with all the grown-up stuff. Right? Trust and obey and flourish like a child. That's how we're meant to live. Rest in him. This kind of life is countercultural. It bucks against the system of the world. It is a protest against the system of the world. Not with pride and with defiance, but with humility and obedience. It's subversive. The world will see the light of Christ in the church when we are living out the practice of humility toward God and toward each other. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So may we let our light shine as Jesus commanded us so that men might see our good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you care for us and that you love us and that you are the perfect Father. Help us to to fear not submitting to you and to rest in your protection, to rest in your authority over us. Lord, may we live lives of humility 
toward you, toward each other, toward those outside of the church. Lord, may that be the distinguishing mark of your church. In a world where we're all competing to make a big deal of ourselves, we're all trying to make a name for ourselves, Lord, may we just humbly submit to you and live quiet lives of obedience to you. And, and those quiet lives of obedience will, will, will be disruptive enough on their own. Lord, help us to strive for that every day, every moment. When we, when we shift ourselves to the middle, when we try to lift ourselves up, remind us who you are and remind us who you want us to be. We love you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name.